Welcome to Co-op Nerd Out, brought to you by the Triple Eight Cooperative Causeway. Well, welcome to Co-op Nerd Out. Uh, this is the place where we nerd out on uh, pro tips that build and sustain member-driven enterprises in what we call the social and solidarity economy. My name's Anthony McMullen. I'm the chair of the Triple Eight Cooperative Causeway in Melbourne, and I'm a co-op developer. And I'm joined by uh, my co-host Gary Cronin. Uh, this show is around uh, summarising the latest research reports, uh, practical developments in the cooperative and mutual sector. So over time, we'll sort of learn how to summarise these in a way that, uh, you know, you can hear what the latest is and and get the key points. And then if you're really interested, uh, we can point you to the resources and you can can have a look at that and and get right into it. So uh, we also... uh, we're interested in uh, interviewing people, both um, people that are new, uh, emerging leaders, uh, practitioners, to, as well as sort of more seasoned uh, participants in the cooperative uh, and mutual movement. So that's really what, what we're looking to achieve. But Ari, did you have any thoughts about that in terms of what what we're trying to do with this little podcast called Co-op Nerd Out? No, Anthony, I think you've summarised very well, actually. It's Mm -hmm. about taking some of the knowledge and enthusiasm that we have for this particular area and sharing it with other people who may be interested in seeing what cooperatives, the wider social economy can offer. If there's ever a time for alternative ways of doing business or community organisation, I think it's now. I think there's a real hunger for this sort of information and understanding and hopefully we can contribute in a small way to opening up the possibility of people knowing more about about cooperatives, more about the wider social economy and how it can help both themselves and the wider community, both in Australia and more generally. Yeah, yeah. and and Gary, it was great to um, interview you. So when people are possibly listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, we, we'd welcome them to, to have a listen to a, a really long-form interview that I conducted with you, Gary, which really went into your 30-plus um, years uh, experience and involvement in the co-op and mutual sector and, and also your interest in, in larger co-ops uh, and, and what makes them work and, and how that all fits together. And really part of this conversation from, from my end with, with you, Gary, is really to join up those two kind of worlds where we're looking at the, the larger players in the co-op uh, and mutual area, all those bigger co-ops, and and building some bridges to the new and emerging cooperatives in the, in the social economy, particularly in Australia, but we, 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 can, we can look all over the place. And, uh, yeah, so... In terms of uh, stuff that we've been reading and uh, listening to, uh, Gary, has there been anything that's uh, caught your eye uh, recently? Well, there was a, a report that came across my desk in the last week or so, which I thought might be interesting because 
Even though I have a focus on the larger co-ops, I'm very, very interested in co-op development, like you are, no doubt. And so this was a report from the US, which was basically looking at uh, the co-ops that have been formed in the period from 2011 to 2019. And there were approximately around about 930 cooperatives throughout the United States that have been formed. And one of the research centres, one of the long-established co-op research centres based in university in the US, did a a survey of those co-ops to find out what the underlying trends were, in what particular areas they were being formed, what geographic areas they were being formed, and actually to understand better what some of the drivers of co-op development um, were, in other words, to learn from best practice. And I thought to myself that this report has relevance to a whole range of people, not just in the United States. And there were seven key features they outlined, and I think they're worth looking at. I think yeah. we'll put um, the uh, URL address um, up so that people who are interested can access yeah. it. But they went yeah. through a number of um, features which make uh, co-op development more certain, more able to go ahead. And yeah. the, one of the things that jumped out at me was the idea of clusters, Co-op development works best when it occurs around other co-ops so that the older co-ops, if you like, the larger co-ops, are in a sense a good model. Um, They've got profile, they've got connection, they've got community embeddedness and they've got a history to show that this particular model works. And this report, this US report, really goes to the idea that the newer co-ops can learn from the older co-ops But even more so, co-op development is probably best done by seeing it as a cluster development. Mm, mm. So you may not necessarily form uh, a new co-op just by itself. You may actually form a secondary co-op or a co-op development agency, which then helps that first co-op develop and then subsequent co-ops develop. Sure. So this cluster idea... Um, is particularly important and it's part of what could be conceived of the wider ecosystem that co-ops have which enable the replication of successful models and enable the connections and the sort of bridging and bonding social capital, the knowledge transfer, the solidarity to occur between these organisations. So I think in very practical terms this report spells that out so for anyone interested in co-op development, it might be a good starting point. Mm. So this study is called Collective Action in Rural Communities, Mapping Opportunities for Cooperative Conversion and Startup uh, by the Centre for Cooperatives at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I don't know much about the Centre for Cooperatives. Gary, do you know, do you know much about them? Yes, they're a long-established uh, U.S. Co-op Center, um, university-based Co-op Center, mm-hmm. with a very strong extension outreach service. One of the really good things about the Co-op research area is that it's not an ivory tower type um, area of academic research. It's very practically focused. There's a very strong symbiotic connection between Co-op researchers and Co-op practice. It's mm-hmm. really. Um, uh, theory informing practice and practice informing theory 
Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the best co-op researchers are strong advocates for the movement, strong educators. Um, and that university you mentioned is a prime example of that. Generation, okay. literally generations of uh, cooperative researchers have contributed to that knowledge, um, mm. played a key role, critical keystone role in yeah. the development of co-ops in that area of um, of uh, the states around uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area, uh, yeah. which had a lot of initial um, immigrant influence, actually, Irish and Scandinavian influence, which um, helped very much um, develop mm. co-ops there and bring them across from the European experience. Yeah. So yeah. it's a good research base. There's quite a few in North America. We could mm. maybe cover those in subsequent podcasts. Yeah, but it's um, a good research base if people want to go and go to that website as well, not just to have a look at this report I mentioned, but more generally. Yeah, look, we'll put the links up. And I guess this sort of contrast, you're mentioning you know, a number of research centres and contrast with Australia, we've really, we had a, a grad cert course that was going quite well at the uh, University of Newcastle. Uh, I, I know you're associated with um, a labour history uh, kind of centre at the University of Sydney, but there's nothing really specific to co-ops and mutuals. We, it, we've really got, you know, we've got the Centre for Social Impact um, at Swinburne, which sort of broadly covers the social economy and there are other um, centres for social impact that, uh, that are based at other universities. But we really, that's a really a kind of a missing piece, isn't it, in, in Australia that we haven't... Uh, there's also the University of Western Australia, work of Tim Masrol and others, but it's it's we haven't kind of got these uh, like a, a research centre for, for cooperatives and mutuals that I'm aware of. Yes, and you need longevity to affect... Um, fundamental change over time. Mm, yeah. um, you need these centres to be there generationally, um, bringing students through, bringing developers through, directors, managers and whatever, um, doing graduate courses. And I, with a colleague, Mark Lyons, um, who was at UTS, uh, we established a research centre um, in the... Um, in the um, uh, late 90s um, with government support and it operated for about five or six years which was very much focused on the social economy but like most of the history of Australia in these areas it didn't continue it didn't mm. continue beyond about five or six years we have to create these centres of excellence this knowledge area and make sure that it's sustainable uh, that's a key yeah. ingredient co-ops yeah. need time they need time to grow. They need time for people to understand them. They need time for effective governance and delivering results to members. But the infrastructure, the ecosystem around them also needs time to develop. Yeah, yeah. And look, back to this actual study, I, I can see that there's these uh, seven points uh, in the study. I've, I've had a look at it this morning. I haven't gone through it in great detail, uh, but I know you've had a, a really good look at it, Gary. We, we've got these seven uh, points around co-op development, the importance of um, co-op development centres, um, you know, with skills Knowledge. around... The, the point I was just making, I mm. think, Anthony, about yeah, the continuity yeah. of that. yes. Yeah, and, and then there's a... That's the first one, which we've, we've just been talking about. And then... Secondly, we're looking at legal uh, context, so a good 
legal and regulatory um, environment, which, you know, we're doing pretty well in Australia with that. We've got, now we've got uh, cooperative national law, but also the presence of uh, attorneys and uh, with cooperative expertise. And I guess uh, we, we do have a couple of legal firms like BAL and others that um, do have some expertise, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to point to that many. Uh, and so that, that seems to be really important. Then there's the co-op friend, friendly capital, so presence of um, community development financial institutions, credit unions. Uh, we do we do have mutual banks, but how many of them are actually focused on cooperative development or have that as a part of their core thinking is a question mark in Australia. Cooperative education, we've been talking about policy environment, well, this will be a bit of a focus of this show, I think, is talking about the policy environment and the connections between co-ops and back to that density of co-ops where you were talking a little bit about, I think, I, I don't know, if we, we, before we got on or, or before around the, the kind of the the, the idea of a, the density of the forest and, and, and having some of those larger co-ops um, around to kind of assist smaller um, co-ops coming up. So what, out of all those points, what are the sort of the key areas that uh, from the study that you think would be worth uh, people noting, particularly in Australian context. It's some really good areas. And look, I suppose it's really, it's focusing on um, conversion and startup. So actually exist, uh, existing businesses being converted, which I'm hearing a lot more people talk about recently in startups, but it is based in rural communities. So uh, that seems to also be the focus. There's a lot, you know, there's increasing interest in Australia as well. Anyway, I, I, I back over to you, Gary, to kind of comment on any of that, your, your reading the, of this study. One of the last points, the co-op to co-op, it's part of what mm. they term the connectivity. And yes. they also talk about a connection to community. A lot of co-op development is very successful and it's coupled with other community, established community networks. If you look at, say, the credit union movement in Australia, very much associated with um, uh, churches, religious um, um, organisations or trade unions in some cases, they are sort of common um, objectives in relation to that. If you look at the experience of Mondragon in Spain, um, there are a number of informing aspects to that. That wasn't just co-op. It was fueled mm. by a whole range of other social, political, um, um, uh, ideological um, uh, currents that went into it. So co-ops mm. actually are a vehicle, but it can be populated quite well by other social ideas or political ideas or religious or philosophical ideas and is often the stronger for that connection. So that's mm. one of the points they make is that some okay. of these aspects uh, for example, the grocery co-ops they talk about is often mm. about fair trade or, or um, slow food stuff or local production yeah. and whatever. So there are a number of these other movements which in a sense combine uh, with the cooperative model and the philosophy mm. uh, and the history of the co-op movement and they're much the stronger for it. So when you're thinking about policy, when you're thinking about future directions, you're thinking about where these fellow travellers and these other inspirations, where these ideas can be coupled uh, together and are the stronger for it. And then 
located in those areas of existing cooperative activity where people are familiar with it, be it lawyers, be it others, um, who can actually make it work on the ground. Mm. So Mm. there's some sort of wisdom in some of the recommendations in that report, hard-won wisdom in some cases, Um, Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, there are guideposts around. There's quite a lot of information if you take the time to search it out about co-op development. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of looking at the kind of the broader environment, the cultural, uh, religious, um, ideological, philosophical environment um, that, I mean, you mentioned co-ops as being a a vehicle. uh, And uh, I guess you've got to, You've got to have the communities and the interest of people to want to get into those vehicles, and that's part of that kind of overall environment. Does that sort of come out in the in the study that that we we, we you know it needs to be a broader political economy discussion? I guess a very broad discussion. And there are certain cultures which are much more supportive of collective solutions and less so individualism. Uh, mm. individualism. Um, if you look at the Australian experience on demutualisation. I've got to tell you, it wasn't replicated in France. It wasn't replicated Mm. in Finland. It wasn't replicated in some of the countries where co-ops are strong. It's not um, been the experience in Quebec, in Canada, for example. Mm. There are various places which are informed by a set of wider values, societal Mm. values, which can actually provide a sort of bedrock in some ways and a facilitative um, bedrock for cooperative um, development. So it's important to understand the wider context in which you're operating in any sort of attempts to develop co-ops. It's not to say they won't develop um, if you don't have that. You just need to know what you're working with um, before you get into co-op development to some extent. And I think think there's a values conversation happening in Australia, isn't there, where we're, we're starting to, I mean, my understanding is, you know, my reading of before you know, the World War Two is that there was there was a lot more sort of communitarian sort of stuff going on. So we've got some history to draw from. But I also think that in this sort of confused um, identity politics driven kind of fracturing, there's also a response to that where we're looking for connections, we're looking for, for community, we're looking uh, to connect people on common projects from across these different divides. So on the one hand, we're fracturing, but I, I think that in a weird, ironic way might be bringing about a desire to reconnect. Uh, and, of course, co-ops give this opportunity to connect people across political divides, which is one of its core strengths uh, in, in Australia. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I think you're right, Anthony. I think the times are right for looking at this in particular areas where maybe the market's failing and there's a real need and people do want to connect with each other in ways that empower them. So, yes, I think you're quite right. Yeah, and look, I think the other thing is there are, there are some interesting, you know, still small but uh, growing uh, initiatives that... Um, are designed around clustering in Australia. So we've got the Beehive Cooperative in Bendigo, uh, which is looking at, you know, the platform uh, cooperative uh, model or or looking at, you know, alternatives to Facebook, uh, alternatives to Uber um, and and cooperative models for for ownership and control of of this sort of platform economy, for want of a better 
better term, we've got the Earthworker Cooperative. So there's a cleaning co-op. We've got a, a, uh, a you know a, a factory that's making uh, solar hot water units um, as well, and and they're, and they're, it's also a new co-op for um, uh, uh, refugees and and uh, other new arrivals that have been finding it tough in the economy. So that's kind of networking a number of co-ops. And this podcast itself is part of the Triple Eight Cooperative Causeway. And our um, sister cooperative is Cooperative Bonds, uh, which is a, a, a co-op of co-op developers that's that's growing as well. So um, we'll put all the links uh, to those in, in the podcast as well as, as examples of this sort of clustering and bringing together. And I guess the, the other part of that is building a bridge between them and... Uh, and the larger co-ops. So, um, yeah, any final takeaways from this study that you'd like to mention, Gary? No, not not really, but I, I would like to make a, a more general point. Co-ops arise out of need, and you meant, you started to mention some of those a moment ago, the gig economy, mm. um, yeah. the casualisation that's gone on in labour, um, the whole ageing demographic that's happening in Australia with baby boomers and with, in a sense, smaller companies where the owners are ageing, want to sell out, but don't want to see um, those company or their, those employees actually lose their jobs. Um, so you can have buyouts, you can have different other models mm. um, that can maintain that employment and create um, new enterprises, new innovations around those um, structures um, so there's a lot of wider need and there are a lot of opportunities in just some of the trends that are occurring now. And that's mm. what I hope we can um, sort of bring to the surface, some of these opportunities and, and have lessons on what works and what doesn't. So, yeah. no, I, I think it's quite a, an exciting time to start to get into this area yeah, um, this, in a deeper way and hopefully open it up to listeners great. to actually not only throw their own ideas but challenge us on some of these points mm, and mm. saying, yes, well, that sounds good, but the buts, I'd like to hear a lot more about the buts so that yeah. we can actually be challenged about how these things work and be very honest about where they work and where they don't. Mm, I think there's mm. such great opportunity if we actually put it on a very good evidence base um, and make sure that we know what we're talking about um, so I'm, I'm like you, Anthony. I'm very excited about this uh, yeah. podcast series. Yeah, look, and I think that that's a really good point, Gary, is that uh, maybe in Australia, I mean, particularly in the sort of the social enterprise, social economy, and maybe even the cooperative sector more broadly, uh, there's this kind of consensus thing where, I mean, we, we don't want to, have endless debates and and fracturing um, in our in our broader movement, but uh, there's not a lot of real um, sometimes needed robust discussion and Q and A. Like the some of the uh, you know views out there on cooperatives are, are quite false, and people hold them, but they'll never actually challenge you on it. Um, and sometimes the cooperative movement can be a bit snobby about other forms of social enterprise. So I think that will be a great focus for this um, podcast is to actually get this stuff out in the open and work constructively and, uh, and, and discuss things critically and, yes, be very honest about uh, what's wrong, what needs, to, what, what needs to get fixed and, uh, 
and and have that sort of broader policy uh, conversation. And that's a, a bit of a segue, I think, uh, as we'll leave that study and we'll, we'll put put that up on uh, put that up on our uh, on our page so people can access it. I'd like to uh, introduce Sarah Howe to our little podcast uh, that we're recording in the afternoon on a, on a, on a Sunday. Uh, Sarah is a, a member and I suppose an organiser of some kind in the Fabian Society. And uh, the Fabian Society is a little bit like a, a left-leaning think tank discussion um, forum in, in, in Australia, but it also has, uh, I think it came from the UK. So uh, it uh, might be good to have a bit of a chat about what this Fabian Society is for people that uh, may be a little bit unfamiliar with it. And secondly, there's been a, a major sort of um, discussion, uh, which we will link to. There's a, a, uh, there's a, a YouTube recording of a discussion around cooperatives and mutuals, of, uh, of which I was involved in. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that and some future plans for the Fabian Society in relation to to cooperatives and and, and advancing um, some discussion there. So, um, Sarah, yeah, maybe if you introduce yourself a little bit and your interest, I think you've got an interest in regional place-based development, which is a nice little segue from this this, uh, study that we've just been talking about and then maybe talk a little bit about this thing called the Fabian Society, of which I've just joined. I've just joined a, a society political society i can't quite believe it i've held off on doing that most of my life but uh, over to you sarah um, okay. thank you uh thanks anthony well i've been um a bit about me i've been involved in industrial and labor politics for about 20 years <clears throat> prior to writing a phd on regional um, economic development um i guess a lot of us in the labor party felt joined um, the Fabians early. I joined at university, so in, when I was about 18, because we felt that it was um, an arm of the Labor Party, that uh, the, an intellectual think tank associated with the Labor Party but not of the Labor Party that would be a vehicle for um, generating ideas, progressive ideas that we could then pursue through um, Labor Party forums um, for um, changes on important policy directions from from the bottom up, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> this is important because the Labor Party has become a lot less uh, um, democratic um, around formation of policy committees internally um, and there's a criticism around that um, uh, the committee structure is a bit dominated by sectional interests. So the Fabians mm. really is an opportunity for broader civil society, you know, people from all walks of life to be involved in um, uh, <clears throat> the debate, I suppose, about policy reform. So I think you summarised the principles of the organisation before, but originally it was a British socialist organisation um, set up to advance the principles of social democracy and democratic socialism via a gradualist and reformist effort in democracies rather than by revolutionary overthrow. Set up in um, 1884. Um, it functions again as a think tank. Um, it's affiliated with the Labor Party and we have an Australian chapter of the Fabian Society. 
and uh, we have branches in every state. Uh, so I'm on the executive of the Victorian branch of the Lab, uh, Fabian Society. <clears throat> um, in terms of, um, I suppose that's a good segue into what we're trying to do with the policy yeah. here. We um, are trying to really um, set up, sorry, just going to look at my notes here. We're trying to set up a policy group around the whole issue of uh, policy reform in this area. Well, not policy reform, but sort of advancing, I suppose, some of the issues that you've raised in terms of what's needed uh, around generating a bit of a platform for debate from the cooperative movement. And we're hoping the Fabians can become a, a mechanism for that debate to occur. So we're setting up a policy group. Um, we're starting off with uh, many people who just attended a recent um, highly successful forum that we held on cooperatives and mutuals. We had Professor Greg Patmore, Dr Joanne McNeil, Anthony yourself and Ian McBurney um, speaking. Um, we found out that many people who attended, I think there were over 200, had been involved in cooperatives in the past, covering Indigenous cooperatives, financial credit unions, worker cooperatives, housing cooperatives, all sorts of different models and forms. Many from the nine, many people can, remembered them from the 1970s, if you recall, mm -hmm. in terms of the audience. <laughs> so that was that was great, and I've got a lot of friends who were involved in the cooperative movement as well, who I saw in the audience. Um, which was terrific. So I suppose what we're trying to do is arising out of that very successful forum, have this policy group continue that policy discussion so as to make recommendations to, in a bipartisan mm -hmm. way, to um, political parties in Canberra at state level about trying to um, encourage that model further. I think Ian... Mm -hmm. <clears throat> McBurney made a really good point about Bendigo that he had to, his efforts to set up a platform cooperative model, as you re referred to before, across the services industry and social media was derived from his own observation in Bendigo that there was just a hell of a lot of unemployment, not a lot yeah. happening, and that um, him and a group of mates got together at the pub one night and said, we've got to, it looks like we're going to have to you know, come up with a model ourselves to try and um, bring some activity back into mm. the economy, the local economy. And being an entrepreneur, he was highly successful in getting to the local, well, he got support from the local government um, mm -hmm. uh, around that. So I, I think that's a long-winded way of saying, yes, we're setting up a policy group. We hope people can be a part of it. Details will be on our website. And... Have I missed anything? Yeah, that? well, I, I, look, Ooh. I think it's great that uh, Fabian Society, um, which I'm still learning about, yes. uh, is, is wanting to get behind this. And I think there's a bit of a, a history, isn't there, with with the Fabians and co-ops. So it might be a little bit about uh, uh, revisiting that uh, and and uh, uh, bringing that into the into the policy discussion. And I think you know we 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 had that big. Uh, Senate in inquiry and discussion yeah. on cooperatives and mutuals, which got multi-party support. So I think there's some opportunities uh -huh. to 
to do that. But I know, uh, Gary, you've you've got a bit of an interest in 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 the the sort of the roots of the the Fabian Society, in particular, co-op neck of the woods. Um, what what were the key sort of theorists that uh, you think? And also, Sarah, feel free to jump in as well. Well, I I think perhaps the the most famous would be the Webs. Um, yeah, the Webs. <laughs> Beatrice Webb in particular, um, in at the end of the 19th, the early uh, part of the 20th century, co-ops were much more part of the mainstream intellectual and political discussion. A lot of the um, major mm. economists, uh, a lot of the thinkers um, uh, regarded co-ops as part of the furniture, part of the building blocks of a, uh, a fairer and uh, more efficient society. Um, the Fabians contributed to those debates and uh, because co-ops were quite significant at that time, uh, Beatrice Webb in particular ran a fairly critical eye over some of the experiences of uh, co-ops at that stage um, and a supportive eye nevertheless but a, a critical eye in some ways. The expectation of people like the Webbs was that the, they talked about a thing called the cooperative commonwealth, which was basically using cooperatives, both consumer and producer cooperatives, um, in a way which created an alternative to capitalist society in some ways, or at least a balance to it. Um, so I, there's been a long-term interest um, amongst um, uh, social democrats, um, uh, democratic socialists in the cooperative model, uh, the UK uh, has a cooperative party which is affiliated to the Labor Party um, so and the independent Labor Party even um, going way back in uh, UK history as well. So there's been a, a strong connection uh, between the ideas of the cooperative movement and some of these political currents and I think it's very opportune, very, very opportune what Sarah's talking about in the context of exploring at a policy level the pluses and minuses of what's happened and where we can go. I, th I think it's a very worthwhile initiative and mm. very, very timely. The, the other thing is that as the Senate inquiry and as some of the uh, work being done by BCCM in Australia has highlighted, there's almost bipartisan support in many ways for the cooperative alternative. Um, even though it's a value-based democratic organisation, I think there's great opportunity to get wide political support for the cooperative model. We just need to know how to do it and how to do it most effectively. So I think this idea of an independent think tank that can weigh up um, ideas, look at, the, look at the past, understand what's going on, and in a sense map, map out the opportunities and possibilities going forward is great. Uh, I'd give the strongest possible encouragement to you to yeah. uh, to explore that more fully. And I'm sure, as the seminar indicated, your seminar indicated, there's a lot of interest. You'll be knocking yeah. people back because um, I think there's a lot of people who really are looking for alternatives these days and genuine alternatives, democratic ones particularly. All business shouldn't be about all profit. There should be um, other aspects that are taken in. Uh, heaven help us, you know, we're, we're destroying the planet. Uh, mm. There's every reason to have other than just uh, 
pure bottom line driving uh, economic development. Um, mm, yeah. There are a lot of regional areas being left behind. There's a lot of inequality. There's a lot of uh, changes to labour markets. There's a lot of need in these areas. And I mm. I uh, commend you, Sarah, for, for the initiative. I think it's very worthwhile. So Beatrice Webb, do we... Do we know much about B? Be- I don't know much about Beatrice Webb, um, but uh, Sarah, I think your your mum has done some study on Be- Beatrice well, Webb, and I, I'm in the process of. I haven't begun yet, but I'm going to be writing a um, paper with Paul Sandringham, who's our national editor from the Fabulous yeah. on the history of Sydney and Beatrice Webb, and the British, um, the British. Um, sort of a summary of the British studies that they did of industrial mm, Britain, mm, including um, mm. cooperative economics that um, Gary has just referred to. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just went over, this is sort of more on a personal note, I went over to my mother's house yesterday because she's actually an expert on Beatrice Webb and has written many, I think I've written a book on her. Uh, so I c- collected all of their <laughs> materials from their house and brought them home. So... Stay tuned for that. I'll put it on the Fabian's website once it's done. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the book yeah. called? And, and um, for those maybe who don't know who your mum is, who, uh, who's your mum and what, what was oh, the book? Can you so remember Renata, the title of the book? Um, my mother, Renata Howe, is a historian. Um, was yep. based at um, Deke. She's retired now. Based at yeah. Deakin University, <clears throat> feminist historian, um, and wrote a lot about... Um, important feminists in the Labor Party, yeah. um, suffragettes, and Beatrice Webb was a particular <clears throat> focus for her. So, um, yeah, so she's, I'm, I'm not sure of the publication that she's associated we'll, with. We'll find name. the exact name and yeah, we'll, 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 we'll post yeah. that up. Yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, sure. yeah that's interesting. Yeah. And mm. and uh, so, so it's sort of a little... Uh, kind of mm. hub of uh, discussion, this group that's been formed out of the Fabian Society that's very new. Um, so it, it's really, I think, about bringing people together to really discuss and sometimes debate and uh, thrash out ideas rather than kind of um, putting out some broader platform. Would, would, would that be right, Sarah? Is this, that's the way it's going to kind of fly it's very new isn't it so yeah it, that's be... um yeah the, the fabians actually have a policy where we don't we're very keen not to have a collective position articulated to the labor party we try and have mm. um uh we will say this individual who is a member of the fabians recommends this policy you know um uh, change to the Labor Party and then the Labor Party themselves can make a decision about whether they adopt that or not. However, mm. we have a lot of important Labor Party figures as members yeah. of the Fabians. So, for instance, Andrew Lee, um, who was the Shadow Minister for Small Business, immediately picked up on the fact that we were establishing this group and um, wrote a, long, a lengthy letter in support of the um, taking on board any any um, recommendations that might arise from a policy perspective from the group in mm-hmm. terms of um, changes to policy to yeah. the national platform. So he immediately jumped on onto onto uh, what was happening. So I think it has the Fabians have always had a lot of influence within the Labor Party, 
they're considered the intellectual group. Um, yeah. Yeah, members in, um, yeah, I could go on about the member. You know, we've got, um, I'm just looking at the list here, we've got highly influential, you know, Labor Party identities were, have always been members of, particularly in the British context, but in the Australian context we had our very own Race Matthews, who mm. was the Chief of Staff at Gough Whitlam, who, of course, wrote that book on... Has on Labor and Liberty. Correct. And Jobs so, of Our yeah. Own. Yeah. Yeah, which we can post links up to as well for that. Yeah. So, so yeah. a very okay. yeah, symbiotic relationship, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, um, not just for, for, for Labor Party people, but for uh, people who are interested in connecting and a, and a very strong relationship with the Labor Party. And you never know if uh, Labor uh, gets in at the federal level, that's that's a good thing. But it's also great to kind of keep that conversation going between all the different uh, parties and groups that uh, are supportive of co-ops and there's so much opportunity to bridge build. But it's great that some sort of a bit of a revival within the Labor movement oh. tradition uh, potentially uh, as, as we grow this. And, and we'll put links on for, for the Fabian Society for people that are interested in that. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you, you might want to consider... Um, joining if, if that feels like your neck of the woods, uh, listeners, uh, and, uh, and maybe join this little 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 discussion group. But uh, thank you, Sarah, for for being on board with this at our little discussion and our little pilot episode of uh, of Co-op Nerd Out. And uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, we well, will continue you. this discussion. We'll keep you keep you on board as, as part of this podcast as we we talk about a few things that are that are coming up. So something that I'm in, involved with is uh, something called the Arismendi Gatherings, which uh, are around uh, celebrating the life of uh, Dom Jose Arismendi Areta, um, who uh, we talked a little bit before about Mondragon, who founded Mondragon, uh, built built a, a really amazing place-based economic community yeah. in the Basque Autonomous Basque region uh, in Spain, uh, building a, a, a you know a, a kind of an ecosystem to use that buzzword of uh, you know credit unions, uh, cooperative university, um, around three hundred now uh, uh, worker cooperatives, uh, supermarkets that uh, have both membership of consumers and workers, and. Uh, this sort of model, uh, linking back to the study I was talking to, we, we were just talking about uh, Gary uh, around the clustering. You know, this is this is probably a, a real inspiration for uh, bringing together um, communities through cooperation. You know, whether it's um, in Cleveland in the US, got the kind of this thing called the Cleveland model, which was inspired by Harris Mendieta and the and the Mondragon experience and a bit of a modified model called the Preston model in the UK. And as I mentioned before, we've, we've talked about uh, Beehive, uh, who are part of that conversation in the Fabian event, and also the Earthworker Cooperative that that is sort of bringing these different groups together. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll post something about that uh, event uh, uh, up on, on our Patreon as well and in, in other places as need be. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. The other thing I'm excited about is I'm involved in a, uh, a little program by uh, the Business Council of Co-ops and Mutuals um, 
introduction to co-ops, and this is really designed for, uh, particularly for uh, people who are working at various co-ops and mutuals, from you know insurance mutuals through to uh, you know uh, farming, uh, all sorts of different co-ops. Uh, who you know when, when when someone starts to work at a co-op or a mutual they may not even be that aware of what a co-op or mutual is so there's a, it's really kind of exciting to to be a part of that program so people that are new to working in the sector uh, can learn more about uh, you know the the values and principles that underpin our movement so I'm, I'm very excited about that Gary what anything coming up for you that's uh, interesting? Uh, there's a there's a history event, isn't there, coming up? Yes, there is. Um, two events, really. The the first one is on unique innovators, um, and that's being hosted at Sydney University by the Cooperative Research Group there, which um, Greg Patmore, Professor Greg Patmore, um, uh, established um, in conjunction with the Cooperative Federation um, in New South Wales. So it's looking at examples of community development. Um, three speakers. It's on the 5th of November um, between 1 and 2 p.m. And you can register online and we'll put the details up. But the areas that they're looking at include disability um, and given the nature of the NDIS and um, choice at the centre of that model um, and how that's changing that particular industry and sector, um, there are some examples, some good examples of um, a cooperative and mutual models in that space now. Um, so we have Australian examples, but also overseas ones to draw on, particularly interesting um, ones at that. Um, also looking at recycling cooperative um, and um, other ones involved in uh, community um, development. So around um, community initiatives, uh, supported living accommodations, um, and uh, more generally, um, cooperative development with a couple yeah. of people who've had long experience. Secondly... And just for, just, just for, the, for those listeners that might be, you know, uh, from overseas, uh, just to mention that this thing called the NDIS that uh, uh, Gary's just mentioned, that's that's a kind of an Australian uh, scheme where uh, people with, with a disability, for example, the funding follows the individual from government and then they can kind of shop around uh, to various providers, whereas previously the money all went to the kind of the providers and then the person would go go to them for, for particular government services around disability. It's also a kind of a national insurance scheme. So without spending too much time on it, uh, it's a really interesting uh, model and it's also interesting that because it's been really based on uh, individual choice that you're getting this uh, th these individuals, that these users in the system or uh, they're often referred to as, as um, uh, users or consumers, uh, people with a disability and, and others, that, um, you know, they're, they're looking at combining to... Uh, to, to actually get better decision-making and better control over their own lives. So that, that's really interesting. Yeah, the other thing you mentioned is there's a, a cooperative research group. Um, we, we mentioned before there wasn't a lot happening in Australia around uh, research hubs. Um, just before we go on to um, other upcoming things, what, what, what's the 
this cooperative research group, Gary? Uh, Greg, Greg Patmore set that up a number of years ago, and it's basically for um, people, cooperative researchers or other academics um, in particular who are interested in this area. So it's broad church. It, it, um, uh, Greg is, is based at um, Sydney University, um, um, but it has um, membership from a range of different universities, most particularly in New South Wales. Um, it sort of reflects what often happens. Um, some academics become particularly interested and passionate about this area and you see centres springing up or research groups springing up. <clears throat> and this is one example of that. And uh, they regularly hold uh, seminars, one every two or three months, on a range of different topics. So this mm. is one. It's jointly hosted with the Cooperative Federation, um, uh, principally of New South Wales, So, uh, and it's looking at innovation. So that... Um, I think that should be quite interesting. Just on the NDIS aspect of that, there are real labour market, there are real changes that are happening within the way in which services are delivered. Um, and there are opportunities and have been, uh, cooperatives have been created on the employment side, the people who are providing these services, as well as the, um, so the, the people who, may be contracted to provide particular services, physiotherapy or speech or other services. Uh, there are real opportunities for co-ops um, to arise in those situations where uh, individual professionals come together and create uh, cooperatives to deliver those services mm. with a real commitment um, to maintain professional um, standards and education and control, in a sense. Um, so uh, there are some interesting things that are possible in that space. Mm. The, the mm. other conference I wanted to mention, and I just need to bring it up, is more an academic research conference. It's got a very long name. It's, it's history, isn't it? It's, it's even got a long acronym, A-A-H-A-N-Z-B-S, um, if you can believe it, mm, um, I can't which is basically that, anyway. the Academic Association of Historians in Australia and New Zealand Business Schools. And it's really there to promote the role of history in business schools. And in some cases, that's a, a fairly Herculean task, I might say. Um, so business history is not necessarily the largest um, point of interest in some business schools. But nevertheless, again, Greg Patmore was uh, um, uh, quite involved in setting this up. They have regular academic conferences, and there's one coming up on the 8th and 9th of November, again hosted at Sydney University. Both this one and the one I previously referred to are virtual conferences. Um, yep. But the um, this Academic Research Conference, which goes over two days, has two sessions on cooperatives and um, basically uh, a range of uh, cooperative academics are presenting papers, um, including yeah. myself, on the topic of um, uh, are small co-ops good and big co-ops bad? Um, yeah. The implications of size in understanding cooperative uh, behaviour, identity and performance, if you want the full mm -hmm. title. Um, so, but a range of other interesting um, cooperative um, issues, uh, one on law and policy, um, which I think is quite interesting, one on yeah. cooperative housing, um, and also Greg's presenting a paper, I'm just bringing it up, 
um, on the Credit Union Foundation, um, which was a foundation set up by the Credit Union Movement, which did a lot of development work in the Pacific and in Asia. And it's often a measure of the strength of commitment a cooperative movement has to its values if they engage in international development, uh, prophesizing, if you like, the model beyond the, the country. So this is a history of the Credit Union Foundation that Greg and Mark Westcott have undertaken. They're reporting on that, plus another one looking at that experience you talked about of um, the Newcastle Unis um, cooperative education programs. So quite a varied range of topics um, from academics, and it's all in the context of business history. Fantastic. Well, well, we'll post up all the links for that as well. I guess that's a bit of a wrap uh, for our first I guess it is. nerd out. Yeah. We've, we've, we've nerded out on, uh, well, we, you know, this particular study, which we will post up. Uh, we've got some particularly interesting uh, happenings uh, that uh, in terms of uh, conferences and discussions, which we'll post up as well. And uh, we'll also uh, post up again some stuff around uh, the Fabians and this this group that's that's being formed as a little bit of a think tank. And thanks again to Sarah, our inaugural co-op nerd out guest, for being part of our discussion today. Thank yes, you to thanks. co-host Gary. Thanks, Sarah. Yes. And uh, lovely. And uh, we will uh, sign off as uh, as uh, comrade nerds, and uh, we will. Uh, get together another we're hoping to get this out maybe fortnightly you know it's a bit of a stretch goal to get a a a bit of a discussion out more regularly uh then we've been putting out some of the other podcasts as part of the cooperative causeway so you know fingers crossed that we can do that thanks everybody and thanks for listening just one thing i think we should both you and i certainly put our email um, contacts up so that people can get in, in touch with us and also that point I was talking about before challenge some of our our ideas or actually add to them um, suggest topics suggest speakers I think uh, we should approach this in a very open way so I'd encourage that as well absolutely we should definitely operate in a cooperative manner what a lovely way to sign off thank you to the listeners uh, please If you're hearing this for the first time, support us on our Patreon. And uh, thank you again, Sarah, and thank you to co-host Gary. And we're signing off. Thanks for listening to Co-op Nerd Out, brought to you by the Triple Eight Cooperative Causeway.